Welcome back to Navigating the Book of Navigation, the undergraduate-produced podcast series at Boston College. My name is Gage Higgins, and I'll be introducing this episode today. The pervasive Orientalist view of the Ottoman Empire as a backward civilization has been challenged by more recent historical scholarship that evaluates the role and importance of women in Ottoman society. The real or imagined segregation of Muslim women while omnipresent in old historical narratives, has been exposed by more timely revisionist history. Ottoman women were far more than just a footnote in the functioning of the empire. In this episode, we'll hear from Nora, Sophia, Lindsay, Lauren, and Professor Amy Singer of Brandeis University about how women were indeed critical to the development of Ottoman society and identity. In Remembering the Ladies, the students will show how the legacy of Ottoman women remain in Piri Reis's maps, even when their names are left unsaid. Look around you at the world Think about how societies run and then look back at history and don't forget what you've already seen. Remember the ladies. Abigail Adams' plea to give women the appreciation they deserve has been repeated around the world in feminist movements. When looking at the expansion of the Ottoman Empire during its peak eras of rule, how might that physical expansion and subsequent infrastructure have looked if it hadn't been for the elite royal women behind the scenes? Here, we shall remember the ladies, but in an unusual context, time period, and in a specific place. We are looking for Ottoman ladies during the height of Ottoman imperial expansion in Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Why Ottoman ladies? Because some of them were great builders. They built charitable complexes that included soup kitchens, schools, colleges, hospitals, and mosques. These complexes were the markers of Ottomanization and Islamization of newly conquered territories. So, Ottoman ladies facilitated much of the physical legitimization of Ottoman power. But where are we looking for the ladies? Not in their houses, palaces, tents, or fields. We are looking for their traces in a map. If maps, according to the scholar Yossi Rapoport, are a series of arguments about ideology and power, then we want to find the legacies of these ladies who helped establish Ottoman power on a map. We are examining a most unlikely object, a cartographical work by the famous Ottoman navigator Piri Reis in his Kitabi Bakhriye, or Book of Navigation. The book includes over 200 sectional maps that together represent the whole of the Mediterranean coast in the 16th century. The Book of Navigation, presented to Sultan Suleiman in 1525, depicts porcelain charts of the entirety of the Mediterranean coast. It describes these places in great detail and provides not just navigational directions, but highlights the newly conquered territories of the empire and emphasizes its greatness. 
we found descriptions of many newly endowed territories, leading us to explore these waqf even further and understand Ottoman women's impacts on these territories. Hello, my name is Lindsay, and I'm here today with my classmates Nora, Sophia, and Lauren Elise. Today, we will be exploring Ottoman women's role in the expansion and Ottomanization of the empire in the 16th century. In our research into the topic of women builders in the Ottoman Empire, we came upon the work of Ottomanist Amy Singer in her book Constructing Ottoman Beneficence, an Imperial Soup Kitchen in Jerusalem. We discussed with her the ways in which we can search for women in Ottoman history, specifically looking at Piri Reese's Book of Navigation. Piri Reese explores in great detail newly conquered territories in the empire. We have found examples of Ottoman expansion in the Book of Navigation, including in places such as Jerba, Tripoli, Bizerte, Dubrovnik, Sus, and Eskenderun. We found a myriad of beautiful maps, descriptions, and drawings of these territories, but one thing was missing. The people. Historical records show that women were present in the Ottoman Empire and made many endowments to support the process of Ottomanization, but we wanted to know how we can find them. So I think that we, we have to sort of imagine what women are doing in order to get them into space and then think about what their presence in those spaces meant. And as we're imagining and sort of formulating a series of questions, then we have to look for the evidence that actually those things did go on. That's sometimes trickier. place we can look for these women is within Waqf. Otherwise known as charitable endowments, Waqf were integral to the expansion of the Ottoman Empire. I think that Waqf is one of the most intriguing legal, social, cultural institutions of Islamic societies. Um, it's uh, grounded in law and therefore generates has generated an enormous amount of paper. It's a very flexible system, and so it has many variants and has been updated and used in contemporary Muslim societies. And those purposes can be as small as a roadside fountain or as large as an enormous complex of buildings like a mosque complex, like a school that would then include, say, classrooms and theaters and dormitories and eating facilities and grounds and then the properties that are endowed to sustain all of those activities. So what was the importance of waqf in terms of the Islamization of newly conquered territories of the empire? So as a tool of Islamization, it is important because it is the way in which sultans created mosque spaces, so mosques for prayer, schools, places for Sufi rituals, their ritual spaces were endowed very often. Anything that could be set up in perpetuity and was not counter to, did not in some way contradict Islam, could be set up as an endowment. And because they were legal, the process of endowment was authorized by a jurist, a judge. And that person would then check that everything in the foundation documents was in accord with Islamic law, 
And so in this way, just the shape of things, because it's happening through under, under the authority of a Muslim jurist, it has a shape that exists within Islamic law and changes and problems are then also adjudicated by the Qadi. So in that sense, it's processing and its establishment is Islamic purposes for which these complexes existed were to sustain Islamic culture and ritual, whether through prayer or education, ritual purity, the supply of water to cities for not only for eating and, and for drinking and for cleaning, but also for ritual purification. So that's one way in which these things are Islamizing, if you will. But there were ways in which the institutions were Ottomanizing as well, partly because many of them were established by sultans, by sultans, wives, daughters, mothers, and other people affiliated with um, the Ottoman the Ottoman court and the Ottoman elites. And so they bear the names of people who were Ottoman in their, in their power. So it's, it's the, the contents, but also the shape of the, and the naming of these institutions, which mark them as Ottoman, kind of in the landscape of the Ottoman empire, which is enormous, as you know. The group of people who seem to be absent from making endowments most notably are princes who make endowments when and if they become sultans. Princesses, on the other hand, mothers, concubines, anyone with their own funds is able to make an endowment. You mentioned that the princes were really the only group that didn't contribute to endowments, yet their mothers did. Could you say that the mothers of princes acted in their son's benefit when they endowed Waqf? Or were the queen mother's endowments considered their own personal beneficence? So that's actually a really thoughtful question. Um, and it speaks to the ways in which people are actually contributing to like a central goal, which is kind of the legitimation of the Ottoman dynasty and Ottoman rule in different places. So in that sense, it's kind of a collective project, but it's very much a place where individuals can shine and make a, a permanent mark because their names are attached to certain spaces. So the mother of a prince might make an endowment and then her name's attached to it or his sister or the a prince's sister might make an endowment. Now, she's probably gonna disappear from memory except for this building and her children may not have any know, real visible status. So that then is, is about her. The princes, it, it's very tricky to promote a prince before he's the sultan because the risk of that is that it's read as a statement of someone claiming power, which is not yet theirs. So a mother would not make an endowment and put her son's name on it. And her status is, yes, as the mother of the prince, but she became the mother of the prince by the sultan, right? So her status ultimately is dependent on the sultan until he dies. And then her, her son, if he's the one who succeeds, will be sultan. So she's dependent on yet another sultan. 
she's not entirely separating her identity and her you know, sort of whole reason for being from either her royal partner or her royal offspring. I know your research on soup kitchens in Jerusalem was centered around a wok built by Hiram Sultan, also known as Roxolana. We know that Roxolana was a bit of an enigma in Ottoman society, due to breaking tradition and marrying Sultan Suleiman, but how was she different in terms of her impact on Ottoman society? She is sort of the stuff of legend. I think that nowadays, when we look at women more carefully and look for them more carefully, she has become a kind of icon of Ottoman women and Ottoman rule. But I think she very much signifies the fact that there that women had specific kinds of power which they were able to exercise. I think now we're much more inclined to see women as a necessary and integral component in the constellation of power and in the and in the creation of power. In a dynasty and in an imperial household. And as people become more interested and go looking for records and evidence of other women's power and what they did, I think that the balance will gradually shift and we'll have a more dynamic and varied set of images and set of, of understandings and interpretations around what women did and what they were able to do. What might Ottoman expansion have looked like if it weren't for these women builders? I think the buildings are really an important marker of the presence of these women in space and across the empire. And because there, we would have had many fewer records, perhaps, of things that women did, although the study of women, gender, and sexuality in the Ottoman Empire has grown and has demonstrated that, in fact, we have many, many sources. It's just a question of learning how to read them to understand what they're telling us about women and, and gender and sexuality. But I think that without their buildings, we would have been lacking in a physical component of things. And because some of them are extraordinary in their decor, in their size, in their endurance, they do become an extremely important marker of the Ottoman legacy. Now, looking back at these Ottoman maps, we know that there is more to see beyond the page. Professor Amy Singer emphasized the physical legacy of Ottoman women through their endowments. These complexes may be on the maps physically, but in order to represent their political, societal, and cultural implications, we need to examine the roles that Ottoman women had in their conception and their continuity. For taking a map, like the Book of Navigation, at surface level, as just a picture, fails to understand the nuance of that which it represents. Ottoman women are in these maps, but it is our duty to remember them. Thank you.